Hello everyone, Godly Divine Ministry, here with part two, the rapture, the heart attack against the church. Are you ready for part two? Did you hear part one? Did you listen to it? Did you listen with an open heart? <clears throat> so in this part two, we're going to discover where Paul got his word of the Lord. So let's find out where he got that word of the Lord. He says, she said, where did Paul get it? I don't know. Let's see. First Thessalonians 4 verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Who is the we? It is Paul and his apostolic team referring to the well-known prophecy of Jesus from Matthew 23-24. Paul simply repeating the same context, same criteria, and the same imagery. For example, there are at least 13 items of Jesus in his Olivet Discourse that Paul repeats. For instance, common persecution, apostasy, teachers saying Christ had come already, Christ's coming, with angels, with clouds, with trumpet, gathering the elect, coming as a thief, impending judgment, a woman in travail, and being warned to watch. There is no doubt, and most scholars agree, that Jesus is speaking figuratively and apocalyptic language of the destruction of the city. Therefore, Paul is also speaking of the same thing, especially in light of the fact that they are suffering at the hands of the Jews, or the apostate Jews, the ones that didn't believe the Lord Jesus, and will be re relieved of that suffering by God's judgment. These scriptures are difficult to interpret by modern simply because we don't understand the use of apocalyptic language. Remember, in biblical times, they can't make a point by bold print or making a movie with dramatic music playing in the background, pressing onto their hearts. Instead, they use what is called, <clears throat> in hermeneutics, the decreation language or apocalyptic language. It is painting the most dramatic picture possible of the world falling apart. The sun being darkened, the moon turning to blood, and the stars falling from heaven, all in an effort to impact the heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. In particular, it was used to describe how the governmental powers of the day in a nation or city were about to fall from power. It was never literal and always a dramatic metaphor. Let me give you two examples, though there are many. Isaiah 13, 8-10 says, And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. Compared to 1 Thessalonians 5.3 They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate. And he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellation will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and it's going forth. In its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. This is not a prophecy of the end of the world. It is a prophetic word to Babylon of how it was going to fall to the Medes, which was fulfilled in 721 BC. The stars did not literally fall, but the leadership fell, literally fell. It was a way of saying their world, not the world, was going to come crashing down, and their kings and princes, sun, moon, and stars, were going to be removed. 
This was fulfilled in history, but it wasn't literal. Otherwise, the universe would have ceased a long time ago. So how about this one? Psalms 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode on a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He went out his arrows. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The fountains of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Do you know what this song of David is referring to? Notice this the introduction to the chief musician a psalm of David the servant of the Lord who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul it was to the naked eye simply a battle that David won over King Saul there were no hailstones no coals of fire the sea wasn't opened up so that the foundations of the earth were exposed. God did not literally come down on a cloud to destroy his enemies. David was describing in apocalyptic language that God gave him victory over his enemies. Yet when we come to the New Testament, we mistakenly assume that God suddenly used the same language but meant something different. If that were the case... Don't you think he would have at least clued them in that he was completely flipping all prophetic language upside down? God is not the author of confusion. But many pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists are authors of confusion because they have been taught by Americanized seminaries or college Bibles, or their doctors and degrees, or doctrines and degrees, and they are all owned by the Vatican. Yes, the Vatican has control of religion, especially in America, because they don't want you to know the truth. And the Vatican's were the ones with sister, I can't remember her name. She was a sister back then. She's the one that started the rapture doctrine, including with the other ones, which is Darby and that young girl. But this is the language of Jesus to describe the destruction of Jerusalem, which was fulfilled in 70 AD. Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the land will mourn. 
and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the end, or from one end of heaven to the other. Notice only a couple of verses later, Jesus continues saying, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, note that it is near at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation, this Greek word is called a near demonstrative. It doesn't mean that generation in the future, but this generation alive right now, at their time, at that moment, will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Another major principle of interpretation is called the analogy of faith. It means that we are to interpret scripture with associated scripture. So just to seal the deal with incontrovertible evidence, notice the implications of these two passages regarding His coming. Matthew 16, 27-28 For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father and with His angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This passage tells us, several vitally insightful details. 1. Everything listed there, including coming in judgment with angels and clouds, will be fulfilled within the lifetime of some standing there. See also John 21, verse 21 and 22, when Jesus said John will be alive at his coming. Number 2. This is not a prophetic word about the transfiguration. They were all alive six days later at the event, and there were no angels and no judgment. The transfiguration is instead an illustration of Matthew 16, 27-28, revealing that Christ's coming will be marked as a time when the law, which is Moses, and the prophets, which is Elijah, will be removed, making way for the glory of Christ alone. This, of course, was fulfilled in 70 AD. Number three, it will be in the same glory of the Father, the same way the Father did things in the past by using apocalyptic language of clouds and sun, moon and stars, and allowing another nation to bring that judgment. As we saw in Babylon, so too in Jerusalem. Number four. Jesus is directly quoting from Isaiah 40, 10 through 11, and Isaiah 62, 11, which plays the context after John the Baptist's ministry, Isaiah 40, 3 through 6. And it is applied to Judah. In other words, the fulfillment is not a worldwide event, but a localized one. This is a very important truth with which one must humbly come to grips. In Mark 9 verse 1 says, And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Number 1. In this parallel passage, the Greek is even more clear than in Matthew 16, 27, 28. He says, Some standing there will still be alive and be able to look back to see that the kingdom with clouds, judgment, and angels, as seen in the in parallel verse, already came in power. <clears throat> Number two, this place this place the supposedly worldwide end event end time events, not in 2015 or 2018 or 2019 or 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or whenever, 
but localized within their generation. So the words that Paul is using are identical apocalyptic prophetic metaphors that Jesus used to describe his judgment on Jerusalem. With those things in mind, its context, let's go back to Thessalonians and continue. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I'm going to say there are key phrases we are going to look at in the upcoming podcast. Which is, dead in Christ will rise first. That's number one. Then, caught up together. Then, in the clouds. Then, in the air. So, those will be key phrases that we are going to look at the upcoming podcast for part three of the rapture, the heart attack of the church. To be continued until then, toodaloo and be blessed. We bless you in the mighty power and glorious righteousness and holiness a father that's within you in the Christ. See ya in part three.